0: It's so good to be here, dude. I stinking love that last song we just did. Anybody with me? I'm no longer a slave to fear. All right, sorry. All right, sorry. I apologize. Get a little carried away up here, man. Man, I'm so glad to be here. I hope you're glad to be here as well. You know, we got an amazing night planned. Some of you guys saw Danny Mejia as you came in, one of our former residents. You know, he's, a, he's the man. He's in the house tonight. Uh, you also know that tonight we got Taco Tuesday. Who doesn't like tacos? That's what I'm saying. And, and so listen, before we get to that, before we get to that, I believe this to be true about tonight. I believe that tonight God has something to say to you tonight. I've been praying about tonight and thinking about what we're going to be going with tonight, what we're going to be talking about for a little while. We, as a team, came in here earlier today as we do every week at 3.30. We prayed over every chair in this room, so your chair has been prayed over today. And we've been praying that God would speak to you in this place tonight. And so here's the deal, and that's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to lock in. I want to ask you to focus in on what God may be speaking to you about tonight. And If you're sitting beside someone who just clowns around and goofs off and is distracting, you're feel free at any time to move away from that person or just punch them in the neck and then they'll stop. You know what I'm saying? And and so don't do that unless you want to. Uh, And uh, and, uh, so we have been in this series called Flipped and a big part of this series has been having this conversation about why young people in our culture and our world seem to be underestimated, oftentimes looked down upon, and excused in many different arenas. Hey, you know what? It's you're just a kid. This is just what young people do. So your standard, the standard that that has been set for us. As, younger, as the younger generations, as the younger generations coming up, as you in your life, the standard has been set low. And the truth is, and what I've found in every arena of life, that when you set the bar low, people will rise to the bar that you set it at. And so we have this lid in our culture of, of us right. And what we can see in all the studies and statistics is that there is a delayed adolescence that has happened among teenagers, among students, as they grow up. People are getting married later. People are moving out of their their home later. People, People are taking much longer to graduate college. And these years are seen as years to burn when, when you look at the scripture, you see that actually the Bible would tell us that these aren't years to burn, these are actually years to build, to build. In fact, what's interesting is, is that the Bible paints a completely different picture of young people, of people like you, of people... Okay, I'm not that young. But uh, people like you, the Bible paints a completely different picture. In fact, God uses tons of young people. And the interesting thing about it is it seems like God often prefers to use young people. Now, I don't know if that is to show other people his power through them. That, hey, you underestimate them. Let me show you what I can do in them. But we see this all throughout Scripture. David was 15 years old when he defeated Goliath. We know that all the disciples, except for Peter, were in their teenage years when Jesus called them and walked along in the ministry. In other words, Jesus picked people your age to then carry on. The entire church, after he died and was buried and rose again and is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and so now the responsibility is given to a group of teenagers to carry on the mission of the church. We are worshiping today because of what God had done through those guys that were his disciples that went through. We see that Mary was in between 13 to 15 years old when she had Jesus and raised him early on. This was the age in which people had children during this time. And so we just see that God uses people all throughout Scripture. I can give you many, many, many examples of that. And that leads us to the core Scripture of this entire series. It's in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. I'd encourage you to memorize it, uh, but we're going to go to it. We're going to read it. And, uh, and this is what it says. Don't let anyone... Look down on you because, of your, because you are young. Paul has led Timothy to Christ. He has discipled him. Timothy has followed Paul for 15 years of his life. Timothy himself is now planted a church. He's a young guy, and people are looking down on him because he's young, and he's a little insecure about that because he doesn't really feel like he can make a big difference because he doesn't have the age or the wisdom, and Paul's encouraging him here, and he says, look, bro, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but set an example. That's the key. For the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Now, we've been tackling each one of these throughout this series. And so the first week we talked about what it looks like to be an example in speech. And then we talked about what it looks like to be an example in faith. And last week, uh, JT, my buddy, came and spoke about what it looks like to be an example in love. And tonight we're going to talk about what it means to be an example in life in conduct, in our behavior, and how we live. What does that look like? How, how do we become an example in that? And I think that there are several things that I want to lay out to you. If you want to take notes and you've got a note guides on your chairs, you can take notes. There's pens and Bibles under your ta- tables, or under your tables, under your chairs. And uh, you can begin by now opening up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to go there in a minute. I'm going to hit uh, James 2 here in a minute, and then we're going to go to Galatians chapter 5. But before we get there, I want you to write this in your notes as you're open up to Galatians chapter 5. You live... What you believe. You live what you believe. If we're going to talk about what it means to be an example in life, well, let's have the conversation that you live what you believe. And so your conduct, how you are as a person, how you live out your life, the things that you do, whether it's good or whether it's bad, has a direct correlation to what you believe. And not just your belief in faith, but your belief in other things. Right? Right? Like, for those people that believe that there are, like, I'm sure my little girl will one day. And, like, when I was a kid, you believe that there's the boogeyman in the closet. Like, it's hard to go to sleep, right? Like, little kids in their room. How many of you guys are afraid of the boogeyman when you were a kid? Yeah, be honest, people. Come on. And you're afraid of the boogeyman. How many of you, be honest with me. How many of you, if like, if, uh, if it's like late at night and your parents or somebody forgot to take the trash out and it's dark outside and your dad or your mom's like, hey, can you take the trash out to the road? We totally forgot and it's dark out. How many of you guys get a little creeped out about that when you got to take it out at night? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Like a little kid believes that the boogeyman is in the closet. And so he's afraid, and, and so, his, so it changes his life. Like, the way he lives his life is affected by what he believes. And so he can't sleep or she can't sleep, and, and, and they're afraid. And they have that mom come in and open all the doors and turn on all the lights and make sure that the boogeyman's not in the room. I remember the first faith test that I had after I became a believer. I became a Christian when I was 17 years old going into my senior year of high school. My story is, if you don't know my story, my story is is that for pretty much four years of my life, starting in eighth grade, I started doing drugs and uh, and partying all the time. All the way up until uh, the summer between my junior year of high school and senior year of high school, I gave my life to Jesus. God radically changed my life. And I've been a Christian like two weeks to a month. And a couple of my close friends called me up and they said, hey, dude, can you, uh, you wanna come over to our house tonight? We're having some people over. We're just gonna hang out. We're gonna have a good time. And so, so I went over to my friend's house. And when I got over there, everyone was drinking and, and partying and just kind of hanging out. It's was about, I don't know, 10, 15 people. And, and one of my close friends who played baseball with me like my entire life, one of my close friends, his name's Stanton. And he says, uh, I come in and he's like, hey, bro. He's like, what you want to drink, man? What you want to drink? Let, let, me, let me get you a drink. And this is the first test of my faith because this is the first time I'd been in an environment where there was alcohol. And, and, and that was a big part of how my entire last four years of my life had been. And now I'd been a Christian like two weeks to a month, and, and I had a decision to make in the moment. And I said, bro, and he didn't know because it's summertime. I said, I said, dude, I'm I'm good, man. I'm 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 good. Derek, come on, bro. Like you ain't you ain't gonna leave me out like that. Come on, man. And I said, "Actually, man, I, I, uh, I, uh, <clears throat> I became a Christian." He's like, "What'd you, what you say?" I said, "I said I became a Christian, and I'm, I'm changed." And he busted out laughing. Now he wasn't laughing because he was mocking me for becoming a Christian. He was laughing because his idea that I had changed because of how bad I was was confusing to him. And I had an opportunity in that moment to either fold up or stand up. And I chose in that moment to take a stand. And say you know what I'm going to live what I believe. If I say that Jesus is in my life, if I say that I'm a changed person and I know God has changed me, like I I I've sensed it, I've felt it. God has radically changed me like I could feel it in my soul. Like this weight was lifted from me. I mean, I've had that experience. If you've given your life to Jesus before, truly you understand that experience. And so, I'm in this moment and and I'm and I'm and I'm doing this and and I remember it, them kind of clowning me a little bit throughout the night and all that kind of stuff and the semester went on. This was in, end of July, 1st of August, fast forward, spring break. Because I played baseball, we had a tournament on the first weekend, a tournament on the second weekend, and we got a day or two in the middle there where we did not have a game, and our coach gave us a day off, and Stanton and I decided that we were going to drive down to the beach to stay at the senior house down at spring break. So we get in the car, and we begin to drive down to the beach. And, and we're on the way to Myrtle Beach, and we're heading down there because I live in North Carolina. So we're heading to Myrtle Beach. That's where everybody went around our area. And we're going, and we're driving, we're driving. And we're, we're down the road, I don't know, probably two hours, you know, talking about this, talking about that. And Stanton looks at me, and he says this. He says, hey, bro, I want to tell you something, man. He says, dude, when you told me that you became a Christian and you changed he says, I thought it was a joke. And all of our friends did too. He says, dude, I don't know what got a hold of you, but you are a different person and I wish I could be like you. And bro, I'm telling you, I got chills thinking about it right now. And I said, Stan, let me tell you something, man. I I can't change myself, and neither can you. You say you wish you can change. Bro, you can't change. Neither can I. We don't have the power in ourselves to change. And I'm telling you, if I was trying to change on my own, I would never have been able to change. I didn't change myself. God changed me. That's what happened. And Stanton, I know you say you wish you could be like me. All you have to do is make the decision to follow Jesus and he will begin to change you as well. And we had this conversation all the way down to the beach. It was amazing. Now, I wish I could tell you that he gave his life to Jesus and all this kind of stuff in that car ride. That that didn't happen. But that conversation happened because I made a decision to say, I'm going to live what I believe. I'm going to live what I believe. This is what I know to be true. What you truly believe comes out when you are put under pressure. What you truly believe comes out when you are put under pressure. Right? Like it's, it's easy to be like, yeah, man, I love Jesus when I'm at church because everybody else is singing songs and doing all that. It's easy. It's easy when you're sitting in your home and, or, or there's not a lot going on in your life or, any of that, you know, there's not a lot of pressure going on. It's another thing when you're at the party in front of the people and the pressure is hitting you from all angles and all sides. It is so much more difficult in the moment when you're under the pressure, but that is truly who you are and what you believe. I think about over the last couple years, what's been going on over in the Middle East. It's tragic. Syria and Iraq tens of thousands of people have been slaughtered because they don't believe the way that ISIS believes. It's tragic. Pastors, men, women, children. Can you imagine what it must be like to live in a country, which there are many around the world, where it's illegal to believe in God? To believe in Jesus. And knowing that if someone knows that and turns you in, if you don't denounce it, you're going to be killed. I was thinking about that actually just today. I was thinking about, man, what would happen? What would it be like if I was in a country where it was illegal to be a Christian? Can you imagine what it would be like if a convoy of militant people come rolling up in front of your house. They came in. They drug you and your family off, my little girl Abby, my wife, me, to be captive. And then at some point in this journey, in some point in our captivity, they came up to me, and they put a knife to my neck, and they say, Denounce Jesus. Or you're going to die. In that moment, what you believe truly at the depths of who you are rises to the surface. And when I watch the pictures and see the news of them marching 30, 40 men out on a beach, Christians, pastors and they're killing them because they believe in Jesus, I know what their answer is. And I can imagine their families are horrified over knowing what is happening to their family members and at the same time glorifying God that they did not denounce Jesus. And this is what I've found. How can it be that there are people in this world that will not denounce Jesus with a knife to their neck Yet we go to school every single week and we denounce Jesus over the smallest little things. You live what you believe. See, Christian, the word, actually was not, did not come out of Christians or believers. It came out of non-Christians. The non-Christians called the Christians Christians. Christians. The believers of the way, the believers of Jesus, they called them Christians, and Christian means little Christ. And literally what they were saying is, is, hey, that Jesus guy that was crucified, that Jesus guy that we all knew because we were in the crowds and we were following around, we were all around. That guy, these people are just like him. They love like him. They serve like him. They care like him. They sacrifice like him. Their life reflects what they believe. It's James chapter 2. James 2, verse 14 and, 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 uh, through 17 says this What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? In other words, what good is it to say that you believe, to say that you have faith, but nothing in your life reflects what you say you believe? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister without clothes or daily food. If one of them says to them, Go in peace. Keep warm and well-fed. Here's the scene. The scene is, what if someone comes to you and they say, hey, I'm I'm hungry and and I'm cold and and I need some some help, and and you as a Christian say, hey, bless you, brother. I'm going to pray for you. Go warm. uh, Be warm and be well-fed. I hope that everything works out for you. Notice what he says. He says, but does nothing about their physical need. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Let me translate. If your life doesn't line up with the faith you say you have, then it's dead. You live what you believe. If you turn over to Galatians 5 and you were there, I want to show you this because I think this is important. Before I read it, I want to say this. If you lived in a country Christianity was illegal, would they be able to find enough evidence to convict you? I think of life like a story. I say this all the time. I'm like, hey, everybody has their story. I have my story. You have your story. We all have a story. And our stories are powerful. Our stories are meaningful. Our stories connect with people. Our stories connect with people's experiences in life. And and we all have a story. And I picture a story like like a book. I picture my life like a book. And the book gets bigger and bigger and bigger as my life goes. And, And because every single day is like adding a new page into the story of that book. And I just want you to picture this for a minute as if your life is like a story and every day you're writing your story for your life. What you do, the good, the bad, the ugly, it's all just placed in there as a part of your story every day. It's just documented down. Here's your story. Here's your story. Here's your story. A new page each day. Here's the question. How many pages in your book on the recent history would you have to flip through to to see any evidence that Jesus is in your life? How many pages would you have to flip through to see any evidence that you have changed, that God is working in you, that there's something different about you because of what God has done in your life? See, because when we have an encounter with God, we change. We're transformed. We're made new, the Bible tells us. And the fruits of the Spirit are placed in us. Galatians 5, where we're at right here, it tells us that we're to live by the Spirit. And if you look down in verse 22, it says this. But the fruits of the Spirit, this is for those who have Christ in them, is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what he's saying. What he's saying is, is that this is the evidence that you have a relationship with God, that, that how, you know, how you know how to conduct yourself is, is that if Christ is in you, then you're going to love people. You're going to be patient. You're going to be kind. You're going to be gentle. You're going to be self-controlled. You're going to be faithful. These are acts and, uh, of, that people live out when they have a relationship with God. This is just what comes out of you. That moves me to my second point because this is what I know. This is not easy. This is not an easy conversation to have, Right? We know it's not easy. When we start talking like this, it's easy for us to like, well, dude, I can never, man, I can never measure up. Man, this is, like, how am, I supposed to, to, how am I supposed to live my life that way? And the truth is you don't have the strength on your own, what I said a minute ago, that it is Christ in you that gives you the power and the strength to do that. But the truth is that, that number two, if you're taking notes there, and I mentioned this quote a couple weeks ago, but this is going to be the point for number two, the Christian life is not a playground but a battleground. Man, there's a war going on. There's a battle going on. All throughout the Bible, this imagery is given of a battle, this war. It talks about us as being like soldiers, not because we're going to go out and kill people, but soldiers in the sense of, you know, hey, man, like it's a battle. There's the spiritual realms that are are warring against each other and warring against who you are. And the enemy is out there to defeat you and out there to destroy you. And I want you to look at this in Galatians chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 14, and I want to read this to you. Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 14, it says this. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Conduct. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed uh, by each other. Here's the key verses, 16 uh, 16 through uh, 17. It says this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul's. When we've given our life to Jesus, we still have a flesh. We still live in this world. We've not died. We've not been given our new bodies. We still have a flesh. But we've been given a new nature in Christ. We've been given his spirit. His spirit now lives in us. But I want you to see what he says here. There's this battle and this war that is taking place with our flesh and with the spirit that lives in us. Notice what he says. He says, For the flesh desires was contrary to the spirit, and the spirit contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with one another. So you are not to do whatever you want. Basically, what he's saying here is, look, hey, the Christian life is tough. Because there's this battle going on. You have your flesh that is warring against the spirit that's within you. Paul talks about it this way in Romans. He says, listen, there's these things that I want to do and I know I should do as a Christian, but I'm not doing them. And then there's these things that I know I shouldn't be doing, and these things I keep on doing. Can anybody relate? I can. There's this warring going on. There's this battle going on. It's easy when you're not a believer. You don't have that battle going on. You just gratify the flesh. You just do whatever you want to do. You live your life however you want to as your God. Obviously, there's major consequences for that. Obviously, that's going to lead down a path to destruction. But the truth is is that you don't have that warring going on in your spirit. And what happens is the, the Bible tells us that we are to submit ourselves to the Spirit, that we're to starve the flesh and feed the Spirit. How do we do that? What does that look like? It's the third point. What you let in is what's going to come out. What you let in is what's going to come out. What you put in is what's going to come out. I think that the leading reason why people do not progress in their spiritual journey is because they do not guard what they let in. See, if we're supposed to feed the Spirit, then what that means is is that we should let in God's Word, we should let in godly wisdom. We should seek it out so I get into a life group so that I can get godly wisdom, so I can learn from other people that are beyond me in my spiritual journey, so I can get accountability for my faith. I come to h 12 every week so I can hear God's word and get godly wisdom. I get a Bible. If I don't have one, I ask the youth pastor so he can give me one for free because he has boxes of them that he can give out to you because people give me Bibles to give you. So come and ask me for one. I can give you a Bible and get in God's word every day. Begin to let in the things that are going to build up your life, begin to let the things in that will help you submit to the spirit. You have to understand that the Bible shows us the character of God and who he is. If we don't ever read the Bible and get into it, then we never know his character and so we don't know how to live. And so we let that in. But then we have to be careful to protect ourselves and not let other things in. I remember when I was growing up, my mom would always say this, garbage in, garbage out. Anybody ever heard that before? Garbage in, garbage out. What that means is is that if you let garbage in, garbage is going to come out. And so think about it this way. If you continually let unhealthy stuff into your life, then out of your life is going to come unhealthy stuff. Now, I like McDonald's. Anybody with me? Today I went to McDonald's and I got a Big Mac meal. Anybody with me? With a Coke. Thank you very much. Don't judge me. And, uh, and I went to McDonald's today, and I got a Big Mac meal, and I love McDonald's, but here's the deal. McDonald's is not very healthy. If I was to eat a Big Mac meal every meal for the next 60 days and survive, which is probably unlikely, I would, uh, you would begin to see a change in me. If you put unhealthy things in, unhealthy things are going to come out, I'm going to put on weight. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not, not look as good. I'm not going to have the energy that I need. That is going to start to come out of me. And the same goes in our life. We have to be careful about the garbage that we let into our life. I'll never forget several years back. I'd been a youth pastor for about four years. I've been one for 13 now, and this is four years in. So it was early in my journey as a youth pastor. And a big group of my friends got together and went on a cruise. And I was the only person on the boat of my friend group that was a believer, that was a Christian. And I remember that we were on the boat, and it was like four days in, and my friends, man, they're just like, they're wild, they're crazy, they're partying all over the place, they're cussing like a sailor, and I remember like four days in, dude, I just started cussing, like randomly, and like, I don't, like, I'm just not a, I'm just not a cusser. Like, I used to be, but, like, God dealt with it. And I just, But, man, I just started cussing, man. Like, I would just drop a random F-bomb. And I'm like, what? like what's going on, man? Like, like I'm a youth pastor. Like, I'm a, like, this shouldn't be coming out of I me. Mean, now, here's the deal. I want you to hear me. I want you to hear this. I wasn't cussing because I was receiving peer pressure. No one was pressuring me to curse. What happened was is that I was on the boat, and I was spending all my time with these guys who were cursing every other word, I was spending no time with God because it was all about my vacation. I wasn't letting anything good in. All Everything around me was, that I was letting in was garbage and it began to come out of me. It wasn't out of peer pressure. It was out of what I was putting in and it began to come out of me. As soon as you have to guard what you put in. Listen, I guard myself from the shows that I watch on TV. Not because... Not because, uh, like, I'm super holy and saying you shouldn't watch all these shows and all this kind of stuff. It's just I just think that there's some shows that glorify things that are not glorifying to God, and I don't want to watch that. I'll never forget when I was in college, I was watching the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition thing on TV, studying to be a pastor. Now I didn't think anything was wrong. That no big deal. Whatever. It's girls in a bathing suit or whatever. But the truth is, I was lusting. One of my friends walks in the door who was also standing in the apartment. He walks there, he picks the remote up, and he turns the TV off. I said, bro, what are you doing, man? My other buddy's like, bro, what are you doing? He's like, bro, you think that's honoring to your wife? You think you lusting after other women is honoring to God? I was like, smoke. (laughs) Hey, listen, but he's right. I never saw it as a big deal. I I watch what music I listen to, and I'm not talking about genres of music. I listen to all kinds of genres of music. I love music, as I bet many of you love music as well. I'm talking about the content that is being talked about in the music. I remember right after I became a Christian, one of my favorite songs, I'm not going to say who it was by or any of that kind of stuff, but one of my favorite songs I was listening to, man, I jammed out to this song. I love this song. And one day my youth pastor, because I'd only been a Christian like six months, he says, hey, Derek, man, do you know what that song's about? And I was like, no. He says, that song's about raping a girl. I was like, dang. I'm talking about the content of what you let in. I'm not saying music is bad. I'm not saying any genre of music is bad. I'm not saying don't listen to anything other than Christian music. I'm not saying that. Hear what I'm saying. Guard what you let in. Guard what you let in. Guard the friends that you let in. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this. Don't be fooled. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good morals. Let me retranslate that. Bad company corrupts good conduct. That's the word. In Galatians 5 here, I want you to notice what it says in Galatians 5. I think this is interesting because he addresses it right here in Galatians 5. He says this. He says, you were running a good race. In other words, you're following Jesus. You're chasing after faith. Things are going great. You're running a good race. Then notice what he says. Who cut in on you and keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. This is what he's saying. He's saying, look, it's not just about the things in your life that can distract you and your conduct and the way you live your life, but it can also be the people that you let into your life. And he said, hey, listen, you were, you were, you were doing, man, you were growing. You were, things were going great. You were progressing in your faith. Who was it that cut in on you, and now all of a sudden you have been digressing? You've been going in the other direction. It's a battleground. Ephesians 6 tells us to put on the full armor of God. It's a war. Our spiritual life is a war. We have to treat it as such. See, Satan's out to destroy us. And what he does is is that he puts garbage in our way. In every possible way that he can in order to distract us and to prevent us from getting close to Jesus. Jesus. Sometimes that garbage can be a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Sometimes it could be money and materialism. Sometimes it could be image and how you view yourself and the things that you do as a result of the way you view yourself. Maybe it's with an eating disorder or cutting yourself or coping in any way that you will. Maybe it's addiction. I mean, let's be real, let's have real talk here. People struggle. They struggle in here and they struggle out there. And you guys walk the halls with people every single day and some of you have some demons deep inside of your soul right now. And that's what he does. He puts all these things in the way. He lines them up, all this garbage. And we're here and Jesus is over there. And these things distract us from him. Back in the early 2000s, there was a skit that was done. It, was, it blew up on social media and everywhere. People started doing the skit everywhere that you would go. I mean, they were, they were doing the skit everywhere. Like if you went to some conference, some youth camp, something, this skit was happening. In fact, the main video of the skit was done at a conference, and, and it has over 23 million views on it. Just a skit. There's many other videos on there of other people doing the same skit as well. I want to show you the skit. It's super powerful. And it paints the picture of what I'm talking about. It's called the everything skit. Now, The quality of the video is not that great because it wasn't shot in HD because this might have been before there was HD. So we have it in the best quality that we can get it. But I want to explain it to you before you see it so that you can understand it. And here it is. The picture is, it starts out and it's God. And God goes and he breathes life into man. Man. And then God goes and he, he makes a bird and he, he does this with his hands and he, he makes all of this stuff. And there's music going on in the background and he makes all of this stuff and he makes creation. And then God and man are in this perfect relationship with one another. And then a relationship steps in and begins to pull that person away from God. And then money. And then uh, eating disorders and just all kinds of stuff that kind of play in until at the end the person realizes, well, you'll just have to see it. Check out the everything skit. So many things I like about that. I love how the entire time the person playing Jesus was trying to get the attention of the other person. The entire time, waving his arms, and then at the end, pulling and drawing them to himself. And here's the truth. That's what jesus does for us he's pursuing us he's chasing us it doesn't matter what we're wrapped up in it doesn't matter what we're involved in it doesn't matter how heavy it is or how light it is it doesn't matter he is pursuing us and chasing us and the truth is is that god sent his son jesus because he loved us so much to make a way for us to be restored back to him because every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god the bible tells us And our sin separates us from God. And as a result of that, we have this sin nature and we cannot help but to run from God. That is just who we are in the core of our being. But God provided a way for us to be restored back to him through his son, Jesus. And Jesus came and he lived a sinless life. And he went to the cross and he died on the cross, not for his sin, but for my sin, because he didn't have to die because he had no sin. He substituted his life. He died on the cross in our place for our sin. And then he was buried and he rose again on the third day, defeating sin and death, throwing it all to the ground. And he picks us up and he dusts us off. And he says, I want a relationship with you. And listen, when you have a relationship with me, nothing can touch you. That's why the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. What a beautiful picture. And here's the deal. We're going to have the band come up. And as they're coming up, I think there's two ways to respond to a conversation like what we're having tonight. The first is this, is that maybe you're a believer in this room and you've given your life to Christ and you know you believe in Jesus. But the truth is, is that you're not really living what you believe right now. The truth is is that, yeah, you realize it's a battleground and you've been beat up. You've been beat up a little bit. And maybe for you tonight, it is just you saying, you know what, God, like there's some things that I've let in that I shouldn't let in. And God, I'm going to stop letting those things in and I'm going to start letting more of you in. So tonight, maybe the response for you is just repentance, turning from that and turning back to Jesus and saying, hey, Jesus, listen, like I need to just turn this back over to you. And there's others of you in this room that here's the deal. For you, you need to let Jesus in to begin with. If what you let in is what comes out of you, if Jesus ain't coming out of you, you've never let him in. And so we're going to do that song. You're doing No Longer Slaves, is that right? We're going to do that song again because that song is bad. And here's the deal. If you're here tonight and you say, you know what? I need to let Jesus in. I need to put my faith in him. I need to surrender my life to him. I need to give it over to him. I would need him to save me, change my life. And this is what I want you to do. On your little bulletin that you have there, there's a little perforated part there at the bottom. I want you to check off on there interested in a relationship with Jesus or you know surrendering my life to Jesus, whatever it says on there, check that. Write your name on it. And then in this last in this last song that they're about to do during the song, I want you to come up here and I want you to put it in this box right here. So that we can follow up with you, so we can talk about next steps, so we can pray for you, so we can help you walk through the next steps of your journey with Christ. And then there's an ink pad there. We're going to have this cross out every week throughout the entire year. Every blue mark that's on that cross are students over the last month and a half that have said they want to give their life to Jesus. A lot of them at their at the back-to-school bash, and so you're not alone. And tonight, if that's you and you want to put that card in there, put the card in there, put your thumbprint in that, and put your thumb on the cross. And here's the reason, because your your fingerprint is like, something that's unique to your identity. is something unique to you. And it's you saying, you know what? I'm going to take my full identity, all that I am, and I want to give that to Jesus. And so tonight, I want to ask you to move as this song plays, if that's you. If you want to give your life to Jesus, tell him, say, Jesus, I want to give my life to you. I want to surrender it. I've got all this stuff in my life, and I realize that, and I realize I can't fix myself, and I can't do it on my own, and I've been trying to do it on my own, and it ain't working. And I need you to come in and change me and fix me. Change me from the inside out. If that's you, come up and do that during the song. Others of you, maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to turn to God. Maybe you need to confess some things. Get some things right. Do business with God. Don't let this moment pass without doing business with God. That's why we're here tonight.